All right, let's pray. Father, um, as you are aware, um, life in preaching and standing for you is challenging on this side. But uh, you've called us to us, you are with us. So I thank you that as challenging as it can be, you are here. I pray today in Jesus' name that you would uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that um, you would move powerfully just because. In Jesus' name, amen. And can you turn down my microphone a little bit? That reverb will um, annoy me and distract me. Galatians 5 this week. I want to thank Mark for sharing last week. I thought he did a really good job. Now, one of the things that's, um, it's human nature, but when, you know, like each week things are graded. Oh, good sermon, not good sermon, distracted, not distracted. And that's just a part of life. But like when Mark, when Mark shares, um, Mark is sharing because the elders believe that Mark has the mantle and the calling and the authority to be able to be up here. So we do not sit there in the audience grading Mark on the standard of, well, he's really improving, or he's really doing a good job, right? You know, so we're sitting there saying, God's going to bring a word through Mark, and that's what we expect, amen? So, um, so I say that to say many of you guys loved Mark's preaching, and you also said, just love to see him grow. And we love both of those things, but we're not grading Mark on growth. We're, we're, we're receiving the word so that Christ can be glorified and honored. Amen? So Mark has the same Holy Spirit as Al has the Holy Spirit. And Al has the same Holy Spirit as uh, little Braxton. Amen? So nevertheless, too many tangents today. We're just going to have a tangent Sunday. Just, we're going to have one of those once every six months. Just, what's on your mind, Pastor Joey? Well, this, well, this, and I was thinking about this. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> Boy, that'd be fun. Half y'all be gone. Galatians 1. Sorry, 5, verse 1. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This verse is paramount for you and I to understand. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Often in my walk with Christ, freedom in my emotions, freedom in my mind, freedom in my conscience has often been more declarative than I have actually been free. 
there's been this idea of me understanding what Scripture says, but my ability to walk in that freedom has paled in comparison to what I believe God was intending for the church to understand. Can anyone relate? So I declare it over my life. I say, God, I messed up today, and your scripture tells me that I don't need to be a slave. I'm not sure how to do that. So through Galatians, hopefully we continually learn and beat it into our systems that Christ wants his sons and daughters to be free from the yoke of slavery, which is the law and sin. God has set us free. Jesus has set you and I free. So it's paramount that we understand this verse and that we walk in it. So that means we should memorize it. We should understand it. We should preach it. And we should quote this verse often in our lives. See, if the church would have simply understood, or if the church understands this verse appropriately, then we probably wouldn't beat ourselves up so much. And not only would we probably not beat ourselves up so much, but we, would beat, uh, we wouldn't beat others up so much. See, what Paul was trying to address was this legalistic, critical spirit that was coming into the Galatian church. So how many of you guys feel like you've been legalistic or critical this week on yourself or others? Anyone? It happens. See, but the Galatian church, they were completely turning to legalism. They were completely turning to the law. And Paul, week after week, that we've been learning in this letter, is saying, you must move past this. Don't be legalistic anymore because Christ has set you free. See, this chapter starts out with, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Jesus came and set us free from the requirements of the law so that we could serve him freely. Christ set us free so that we can serve him freely. See, with the law, it was highly restricted and regulated process to try to honor God. And that's how most of my Christian life, I tried to honor God. I understood what the Ten Commandments meant. I understood a whole lot less about the 613 or 15 or over 600 rules and regulations. I understood a whole lot less. But I did understand that the sum of all the laws were to love God and then to love people. Right? So I, I would gauge myself. I would gauge my happiness. I would gauge my peace. I would gauge the authority that I thought I walked in based upon how well I felt like I honored the Ten Commandments or um, the 600-plus laws that week. Has anyone ever been there where you gauge your peace or your anointing based upon how well you follow the rules? Anyone participating? I do. I feel like in all of us, that's happened. You make a mistake, you feel bad about it, and then because you feel bad about it, you go put yourself into slavery. 
Now, does it mean you give up on God? No, but what ends up happening is because you feel like you sinned and you feel like you fall short, the slavery that you put yourself in is this filter, 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 um, this sour attitude, this pouting attitude that woe is me, I'm such a horrible person, why could God love me attitude? And then you pout for three days, you ask for forgiveness, you ask him to put on a billboard that you're forgiven, whatever it may be, and you put yourself in this slavery again to where you're, you don't interact with God until you feel better about your sin yourself. Can I get a witness? And what, Jesus, or what, what Paul is trying to share here is it is for Christ that you have been set free. It is because of Christ you have been set free. It is, you have not been set free because you think that you're sinless today. I know I've shared it in many, uh, many times before. I don't know if I've shared it here many times, probably have, but over my past 11 years of ministry, I've shared this story numerous times. I'm going to share it again. Macy's at Wright State. She's going to nursing school. I'm working down in Dayton um, as a youth pastor. For 25 bucks a year, I could go work out at the gym and at Wright State. So during my lunch, I'd go work out, then I'd go back to church and get some other things done. And while I'm working out, I'm lifting some what I felt like was pretty heavy weight. So I was doing 225 pounds, and I was benching it, and I did it 12 times. And I sat up off this bench with this big old head, thinking like, I'm stronger than all of y'all. And my wife is so hot, and she's going to be making so much money. And all of these thoughts are going through my head. See, but before that, you know, I was just working on trying to be a good husband, and I felt like I was being a really good husband, so I wasn't feeling this, uh, the, the weight of slavery, the yoke of slavery of sin, because I felt like I was accomplishing the things in my life that I needed to accomplish. Does that make sense? So I get up off this bench, I sit up very pridefully and arrogantly, and look, several years later, I destroy my shoulder, and... Uh, probably won't ever do that weight again. So I sit up off this bench and all these thoughts come to my mind. And I'm like, why am I having these thoughts? And when I felt like the voice of God, what, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me was this, is Joey, even when you think that you're not dealing with the top three to five sins in your life or that you're fulfilling them perfectly, there's other areas in your life that you're unaware of that I haven't revealed to you that fall short of my glory. Amen? So what, what happens to us is, is we fall short in one area. We throw ourselves under the slavery and the yoke of condemnation, of woe is me, God doesn't like me anymore. And, and, and what Paul's trying to say is Christ has set us free so we don't have to live that way anymore because you don't have to live under the law. You don't have to live under the rules because Jesus fulfilled those. So when we face God, we're not going to face it based upon me sitting up and judging someone and thinking that I have a, look, I thought a hot wife. I mean, she was beautiful at that point, but she was hot, right? Like, that's what I thought. So in my arrogance, none of y'all better be thinking she's hot either. We're going to have a problem. Y'all get to think she's just the most modest, kind, 
beautiful pastor's wife. She's blushing right now. So, three, these three to five sins, you do them, you throw yourself in jail. But every day, whether we're aware of our sin or not aware of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. Amen? So why is it when we're aware of the sin, we throw ourselves into this proverbial slavery, but when we don't know about our sins, we don't? It doesn't make sense. Every day we fall short of the glory of God. And what Christ came to do is set us free from that. So Paul's encouraging us, quit trying to live under these laws. Quit trying to put this yoke on your shoulders. You are set free. And what the scripture testifies today, whether I agree with it or not, in which I do, what the scriptures tell us is that if you're a believer, if you're a son of God, you're set free today. And you don't have to put that yoke on yourself anymore. Amen? Amen. That's great news. Perfect news. So, the law restricted who could serve and when they could serve and how they could serve, and, and the law even restricted who could be reached. But now, with Christ's life, his death, and resurrection, the law has been fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled our requirement to the law. And this is one reason why he said, it is finished at the cross. It is finished. He didn't say the partial work of what I came to do is partially done. He said, it is finished, done. No more work needs to be added. No more work can be taken from this. It is done. Amen? See, when it was finished, the work of the law keeping was completed. The penalty of the law was fully paid. This means that the law was no more and that those who live by faith in Christ no longer have to worry about the rules. This means that we are now free to serve God. So what that means is this, is when I got up so arrogantly off that bench, and then I tell God, hey, I realize that I fall short here. It doesn't mean I have to go throw myself in Jesus jail for three days. It doesn't mean I have to go throw myself into 10 Hail Marys or some kind of good works. What it means is I can immediately say, God, you died for me. You love me. And it's completed. And I want to do better next time. Amen? Because true love doesn't take advantage of someone. True love says, I'm going to try to do better from here moving forward. Right? So, the penalty was, uh, of the law was paid in full. This means that the law was uh, no more, and those who live by faith in Christ no longer have to worry about the rules. No more sacrifices. No more um, only preaching to people like you. No more regulations. No more Jesus jail. We were and we are set free. So one might argue, because there's been many arguments within this, um, even today I see people preaching about 
do better, live better, try harder, have more faith. And they put this yoke on us. They put this yoke on us that we have to strive to earn our way to heaven. So, um, you know, some of these people, what they will argue is they will they'll bring up the Sermon on the Mount that we just went through, and they'll say, hey, look, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that you will certainly not enter the kingdom? So we have people who preach that, and we're like, oh my gosh, what am I to do? I have to work harder. I have to have this holiness. I have to have this. I have to strive. I have to try. I have to work. I have to do. Well, there's no striving in the kingdom because Jesus did it all. And then people might bring up um, Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. Now, these scriptures are true. But the way that these scriptures have been preached or are being preached or are demeaning the church is not appropriate because what matters? Context, context, context. See, the context of these scriptures were not to tell you that you are to earn your way to heaven or that you are to strive to add to the work of the cross. What Jesus was getting at at the Sermon on the Mountain was this, was first to rebuke the Pharisees' thinkings or thinking that their legalism and outward appearance brought them righteousness. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, if you think that your outward appearance and your righteousness can earn your way, then uh, you're wrong. They, they were so legalistic that these Pharisees actually tied on their gardens That'd be weird, right? I got 10 tomatoes. Here's one for God. I got 10 cucumbers. Uh, now look, at the end of the year, y'all all tithed your vegetables to the church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if every one of you bring in extra tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis, and I take a few, so I don't blame you for doing it. You don't want them to go to waste. Or you're being a Pharisee and a hypocrite, and you're tithing to the church. You're just not telling anyone. Is that, what, is, that, is that what's going on here? Nevertheless, here's what Matthew 23, 23 says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Paul is rebuking them, or Jesus is rebuking them on the Sermon on the Mountain because they think that their legalism and their outward appearance brought them righteousness. So there's these teachers and there's these people today that are trying to tell us that we are to strive and that we are to have, we are to have more righteousness than the Pharisees who were fasting, who were praying, who, who understood um, who understood the scriptures better than many of us. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Second, Jesus was letting those on the mount know that if their righteousness is to be measured by the law, then what they would have to be is perfect, just as Jesus was perfect. So he's saying, hey, look, if you want to be measured by the law, 
If, if, if that's the measuring stick by which when you face a holy and perfect God, if you want to be measured by righteousness, then you better have righteousness greater than the Pharisees. You must have righteousness equal to Jesus Christ, by which none of us carry. So when people begin to preach out of the Sermon on the Mountain and say, you must possess this, and they don't say that the only way you can possess this type of righteousness is through Christ, then they're teaching a legalistic works gospel. Amen? Context, context, context. So, yeah, he was letting them know that um, if your righteousness is to be measured by the law, then perfect, just as Jesus was perfect. So that means this. Uh, you have or you never will gossip. You have or you never will slander, lust, lie, fib, steal, fornicate, take oaths, covet, be a glutton. You will always tithe. You will always look after the orphans, the widows, the least of these, those in jail. You will always 100% love others the way that you love yourself. You will never have a bad thought towards someone else. You will never get a demerit, a ticket, or a write-up. You will always be on time at work. You will always know what your spouse wants before they ever ask. You will always say you're sorry, but if you have a reason to be sorry, you've fallen short. So if a person can keep the law perfectly the way that Jesus did, then he would have certainly passed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, if you want to be measured by your righteousness, you better be perfect. So we can't allow the Sermon on the Mount to be the reason by which people can condemn us and try to convict us to do more works. Amen? Because that is not the context of what Jesus was preaching. So be ye perfect as he was perfect. How do I become perfect as he was perfect? I live under him. I live under his blood. I put my faith in the cross. Amen? And the fact of the matter is the Pharisees were not even close to perfect themselves. That's why they were legalistic. Psalm 64, 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean. Now, all of us, not many of us, not some of us, all of us, every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room has become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts, so every good thing that we've tried, every good thing that we've done, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We, uh, we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our, our sins sweep us away. Isn't that horrible to think about? All of our righteous acts, according to Scripture, are like filthy rags. We pay it forward, and then the rest of the day we walk around. I'm so good. We pray for someone. I'm so good. I bought Tamara three energy drinks. I'm so nice. I'm so anointed. God loves me for being good. We pray for someone, and maybe they get healed. We preach the gospel to kids at school. 
We buy people oranges at the store, or you, or, or you pay someone who forgot their credit card, or you help an orphan, or you help a widow, and you think, God is so pleased with me. God is so happy with me. But actually, what Scripture is telling us, not the case. Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Sad to think about, isn't it? And now as I'm thinking about that, is that Psalms or is that Isaiah? It's Isaiah. My notes are wrong, and I know that is not the case. Isaiah. You're like, he just making up scriptures now. (laughs) No one's checking me on it. What are you guys doing? Are you awake? Check me on it. Embarrass me. Make me get red up here. Isaiah 64, somebody. He, he, is, he is wrong. So all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All of them. Everything we do that is in the direction of good is not worthy to gain us any righteousness before a perfect God. Amen? So you say, well, if everything that I do, even the good things that I think I do, doesn't please God, then why would I do them? That's not, that's not the point of what the scripture is saying there. What the scripture is saying is, God is perfect. Jesus is king. Everything that we try on this earth is not, not, or everything that we do, it should be about him. It's not about us. So, so he is perfect and we are not. So when we, any attempt that we make doesn't earn our way to heaven, that's what the scripture is alluding to, pointing to Jesus, that everything that we try to do, anything that we try to do doesn't add or subtract from the work of Christ on the cross. Amen? Doesn't do anything. We can only find our righteousness through Christ, not works, not effort, not rules, not law, and not through some preacher shaming you. Amen? Philippians 3, I think, 6 through 9. <laughs> Sometimes you just look up all these scriptures and copy-pasting, and um, yeah. <laughs> I need to change the note, so if I ever preach this message somewhere else. Um, Philippians 3, 6 through 9. As for zeal, uh, we've talked about this scripture already in the book of Galatians. So we're going over again. As for zeal, uh, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Right here not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So what Paul is reiterating at the bottom half of this scripture is this, is, well, at, at, at the beginning half, he's saying, look, I've done it all. I've followed everything I am the pinnacle of what a human being should be trying to do as a human being. Of all y'all, 
I'm doing it the best is what he's saying. But he said, in spite of that, here's what he says. He doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. So he doesn't have righteousness based upon everything that he's done. He doesn't have righteousness based upon preaching the gospel. He doesn't have righteousness based upon getting beat up and getting back up and getting beat up again. He doesn't have righteousness for being homeless, for being shipwrecked. He doesn't have righteousness for being snake-bitten and preaching the gospel. He doesn't have righteousness for delivering demons. He doesn't have righteousness for any of his works. Do you hear that yet? You don't have any righteousness based upon any of your works. Do you hear that yet? Your good works or your bad works. You don't have righteousness because of that. Your righteousness one day, when you see Jesus, when you face God face to face, is about who? The blood of Christ by faith over your life. Amen? That you recognize that based upon one sin in your life, you deserved hell. And you should also recognize that you had more than one sin in your life today. So what he's saying is the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith through Christ Jesus. Paul is contributing and attributing his salvation on faith in Christ alone, not the law. Amen? One theologian says it this way. Jesus is saying that the true direction in which the law has always pointed is not towards mere judicial restraints. That's the way we often look at the law, correct? We often look at the law as judicial restraints. Concessions rising out of the hardness of men's heart. Nor even the law of love. No. It pointed to all the perfection of God, exemplified by the authoritative interpretation of the law. So the law doesn't point to just judicial restraints. It points to the perfection of God. Amen? So when we think of the law, it's revealing to me that I need God because I'm not even close to fulfilling the law. Because I'm not close to fulfilling the law and Jesus fulfilled the law, look how perfect he is. Look how big he is. And if he's so big and if he's so perfect, then guess what he can also be? He can be trusted. He can be loved. He can be worshipped. He can be valued. He can be preached. So, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. See, the freedom and the liberty that Paul was talking about is often thought about in the wrong sense. We often think of it as, um, well, freedom and liberty means we can do whatever we want. Has anyone ever heard the message of grace? And then after you hear the message of grace, after you hear freedom and liberty, then you say, well, what the preacher is telling me is that I can live however I want. Anyone ever thought that way? So that some of you may have been like, well, you know what? Like, um, I'm not going to go live however I want because I'm a really good Christian. And you wouldn't use those terms in your head. But what you're thinking about is, you know, Pastor Joey's given Mark Miller the freedom to go continue in his sin. Anyone ever thought that, though? Oh, you liars. 
I have sat under so many grace messages where I'm like, oh yeah, I received the grace of God, but Pastor Lyndon is giving, oh, Tim over there, or Tom, or Jerry, he's giving them a reason to sin, and they're not going to hear it right. See, when we often think about justification, or we think about law, and freedom, liberty, we often think that it's Scripture telling us we can do whatever we want. This means uh, we don't deny ourselves or fight against the flesh. See, that's the worry. Now, that is certainly a freedom, and that's certainly a liberty, but it's definitely a false and lying liberty. Amen? The liberty of Christ is not to continue in sin. The liberty of Christ is to understand that he fulfilled the law so that we don't have to. Amen? See, the freedom and liberty that Paul is talking about here is freedom from the pressure to try to earn our, our way to God. The liberty and the freedom that Paul is talking about here is the freedom from guilt, the freedom from condemnation, the freedom from the bondage of zealot teachers, the freedom from the penalty of sin. That's the freedom that Paul and the liberty that Paul is talking about here. So we don't walk in these freedoms when we legalistically um, mix law and grace. And when we mix law and grace, we voluntarily re-enlist ourselves into slavery when we adopt restrictions that God intended for a different purpose. When we put that yoke on us and we go to the Jesus jail, we re-enlist ourselves into slavery that God never intended. What happens? We lose our freedom. I don't want to lose my freedom. For those who are in Christ today, there is freedom because Christ has set you free. Amen? So Paul tells us to stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, Paul is giving us an active imperative, right? So what does that mean? This means he's giving us a command that we must activate each day. We must take action on this imperative, so each day we are to wholeheartedly stand for the freedom that Christ has given us to walk in confidence that we do not need to work to save ourselves. But many of us in the church have and will encounter people who will try to put us back under the Old Testament laws. There's people within our region who are actively trying to put us back under laws. Has anyone encountered any of those recently? People that are trying to put you underneath the laws? I have. See, Paul says resist. Resist going back under the law. Resist it. Stand firm that we do not let the yoke of slavery come over us. See, when Paul says this, it is similar to what Peter says in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, I believe, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the 
uh, necks of Gentiles, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. So why are you putting this yoke back on that you can't, that, that we nor our ancestors can bear? One could bear it. See, the Jews couldn't justify themselves before God by the law, so why would they try to put it on others? See, the yoke of the law, only one could fulfill, and that was Jesus. So now we have the Jewish teachers and Jewish leaders starting to put the yoke on other people to say, follow the law, follow the law, follow the law, follow the law. Paul uh, saw that the law was a yoke, and this yoke was a bondage and slavery. The law simply traps you and I. We try to work hard, and we try to plow. Yet these efforts only leave us frustrated and falling short before a holy God. Again, we become trapped by the yoke of the law when the reality is our efforts are all filthy rags. Isaiah 64. We already went through that. So what I wanted to do today is end here. If I went to verse 2, it would be a whole nother sermon. So I didn't want to have two sermons today. So one verse today. So what I wanted to remind you of is this, is that the law cannot and is not divided into parts. We heard this several weeks ago. We can't say we follow the ceremonial laws, but not the moral laws. We can't say we follow the most important of the Ten Commandments, we, we can't divide the Ten Commandments from the 600-plus laws. See, but what, what we do, because our heart is deceitful above all else, is we begin to divide the laws into ones that we think we are to follow first, into ones that we think that we can fulfill. But remember, the law is not a scale. The law is pass-fail. The law is all or nothing. So either you fulfill the whole law and wear the yoke, or you can throw it off. Or maybe, sorry, you fail the whole law, or you throw it off. So the law is pass-fail. So you either follow the 600 rules perfectly and guidelines perfectly, the ceremonial laws perfectly, or you throw off that yoke of slavery today and you say, God, I can't do it perfectly, but your son did. Therefore, since your son fulfilled the law perfectly, I devote who I am. Every breath, every moment, every day, I will choose to pick up my cross and deny myself for your sake. And when I fall short, I'm not going to Jesus' jail. I will repent of my sins and I will come back to you. Amen? Now look, there's, there's always subtleties within this walk of Christ. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean you just are living in this deep, dark, hidden sin. Deep, dark, hidden sin is a highly dangerous place. As you've heard me say before, our dogs hide their bones because they want to keep them. When you hide your proverbial bones, which is sin and hidden things in your life, you want to keep it, which means there's a battle going on, right? So always find someone. Find a group of men. Find a group of women um, have a trusted person in your life um, that you can confess these things 
to so that you don't start putting that yoke back on you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, for it is freedom that you have set us free. I pray that this week we would not throw ourselves into this idea of Jesus jail. Now, we wouldn't ignore your holiness. We wouldn't ignore your righteousness. Um, but when we fall short, Father, we would be so thankful that we can't earn our way and we can't detract from the cross. We can't add to the work of Jesus. So, Father, I just put my faith, I put my faith in you today. And if I wake up tomorrow, help me put my faith in you again. Put my faith in you today, Father, that you are enough, that you are more than enough. Father, you are more than enough today. Just kind of had a sense that um, just a re-up. So if you want to stand up and say, Jesus, I put my faith that you are enough. However you want to say it, let's just take a moment and let's declare publicly in front of others that we're not a slave to the law or the yokes of man any longer. So, Father, I just put my faith in you that I'm not a slave to the yoke, the law, to legalism, that Jesus is enough. You guys stand up and make your, your declaration, then we're going to get out of here here in a few. But make this declaration. Father, as we stand up across the room, we just stand up and we just acknowledge that it's, it's hard to believe this scripture because we've been conditioned in a world that you get what you deserve. But because of Jesus, Father, we don't get what we deserve and we just declare by faith today that you are enough. We declare by faith today, Father, that we don't have to throw ourselves into Jesus' jail or put the yoke of slavery on us once again. Thank you, for it is freedom that you have set us free. So may your freedom flow through us and on us and in us today. May we smile and be happy and at peace. May the secret of contentment indwell within our hearts because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we will be free indeed. So may we be free this week, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.